Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 132, recorded July 25th, 2013. So this is our 68th 90s episode, and today we're covering the Deep Space Nine miniseries, Maki, Soldier of Peace. Yes. Malibu likes to do these little specials. Yeah, and this one's kind of weird, because I think it could have been a, or I definitely know it could have been just two issues of the random series <laughs> well, and then they have two I agree they like fluffed out two episodes or two issues with a little side story side stories right and that it's were... not just a subplot in the story it's literally the story ends and then here's a one off that's you know six seven eight yeah. pages so it's kind of like an annual but normal size right which is weird right so but it's a again, special. It so. really, it really feels like it could have been two issues, and then for whatever reason, they're like, "Hey, let's make it three and make it a mini series." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we want to crank more out, so uh, they must have been very creative and wanting to crank out multiple things a month. So, okay, fine. You know how people like to buy those number ones. Good point. Good point. And there and are definitely ones, twos, and threes. Yeah, and this one even had multiple number ones, so you got you got the extra uh, multiple cover revenue coming in. Right, the uh, artfully drawn one as opposed to the photo cover. Right. Yeah, so I think maybe IDW took a page from Malibu in regards to that. Could be, could be. <laughs> but anyways, I, th- I like this story. Uh, I th- I'll have some problems with the third issue, but uh, overall, I, <laughs> I enjoyed the, the the story itself. Yes, yes, it definitely uh, features Dr. Bashir. He is definitely the centerpiece of the story, and I always like when Garrick gets in. I like Garrick. Yeah, and I think Garrick and Bashir really work well together, and unfortunately, they don't have that much to do with each other in the story, except that they're both Directly. in it. Right, they're not... They're not in the same panels very often. Right, they don't share any screen time. There you go. (laughs) Anyways, well, you want to just jump right into it? Let's do it. All right, so issue one came out in February of 1995, and it is entitled Vacations Over. The writer is Mark A. Altman, penciler is Rob Davis, inker is Terry Pallett, color design is Moose Bauman, Letterer is Ronnie Cruz. Interior color is Gone Fishing with Ruth Rashpore and Charlene Gartner. I don't know what Gone Fishing is in reference to, but that's what it is on the title page. And the editor is Mark Pancia. As we mentioned earlier, there's two covers. One is just a random picture of Bashir with a tricorder, medical tricorder. It's actually kind of a huge medical tricorder. And then the art cover is Bashir with his back to the reader, his head turning towards you, 
and then two phasers pointing at him, and it looks like he's being blasted in the back. So this may be the end for Dr. Bashir. So the story starts off with Bashir's personal logs, informing us that he's being forced to take vacation. He is off to Ryza. As he's finishing his packing, Dax comes to see him off. There's a little bit of flirting on the Bashir side, and then he's beamed over to the craft called Ryza Express. Later, on the Express, Bashir is chilling out at the bar. A beautiful woman enters the bar. Bashir is transfixed, but the Andorian barkeep tells him that she has shot down every advance that has come her way. She sits down at the bar, and Julian offers to buy her a drink. At first she refuses, but his boyish charm seems to work on her, and she allows it. After the drink, she leaves the bar. Dejected, he also retires, and he is surprised to find the woman in a heated discussion with a mustached man. The man seems to have upped his price of some sort of medical services to 1,000 bars. Julian butts in, trying to help defuse the situation. But it does not work, and the man storms off once he hears that Julian is also a doctor. Julian reminds the woman, whose name is Tessa, that he is a doctor and he would be happy to offer her any assistance that she might be in need of. She accepts, and the two head to her quarters. I am sure Julian is getting quite confused with all the mixed messages here the beautiful woman is giving him. They arrive in her quarters. Julian starts to set the mood by reciting his resume. He does not get too far into it before she stuns him with the phaser she had hidden in the room. When he wakes, he discovers that he's no longer on the Ryza Express, and Tessa is no longer in her skimpy clothing, nor is she alone. She and her two companions inform the doctor that they are Maquis. She informs him that they are trying to save a Maquis and Federation crew that have recently gone missing in the Badlands. Knowing that Voyager is the ship in question, he agrees to join them, and he's introduced to the larger Maquis team. There's perhaps several dozen of them, and they all enter these large cargo containers. The pilot of the craft that they are on contacts a nearby Cardassian outpost. He agrees to transport the containers, which the Cardassians seem to think is just supplies. Once they beam down, the Maquis exit their containers. They try to access the computers on the ship, but an armed squad of guards appear and capture them. Bashir and Tessa are brought before the Cardassian leader named Gold Dulcet. He tells them that this planet will be their new home. To be continued. And as we said earlier, this is only the first story of the issue. There is a second story which we will talk about once we have our little comments in regarding to this one. Right. This one definitely does set things up. And our Dr. Bashir is in a little trouble. Yeah, I actually really liked this issue. I thought it was a good setup. I was a little surprised when I got to the, you know, page 14 and it suddenly ended. But uh <laughs> very early indeed. Right. I was like, "What?" But uh no, I liked it. I thought it was a good setup. Um you know, you don't quite know what's going on and it's nice to have, you know, little tie-in with Voyager. Right. Yeah, as soon as they started talking about that stuff, it was like a missing Federation ship and a Maquis ship. The first thing I was saying, is that is that Voyager they're talking about? Hmm. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. Right. 
So, no, it's pretty good. I liked it. Right. And I, I, uh, I mean, I really thought it was funny. Uh, and this is just going to the character that they portray Bashir. I mean, he's getting all these mixed messages about getting to go to her room and, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of, what, what's going on. He gets there, it's all dark, and she lights a candle, and mm-hmm. he's like, oh, well, let me tell you my resume. I graduated <laughs> from medical school. <laughs> and you're just exactly. like, really? That's how you're going to start off this conversation? <laughs> then she yeah, just, which is... Then she just stuns him. I loved it. Yeah. Which just <laughs> underscores how clueless he is in the ways of love. Right. So, anyways, I really like that part. He thinks he's Joe Cool and smooth, and he isn't. Oh, well. You uh, kind of feel sorry for him a little bit. Right. Uh, yeah, plus he takes a phaser blast point blank. I mean, she jabs it in his ribs and then fires. Right. I mean, even at stun, don't they say that if it's if it's even a low-powered stun at very close point blank range, it, it might uh, cause other problems? I don't know, but in the new J.J. Abrams continuity, pack, you can take it from a distance and it doesn't even hurt you. It doesn't even slow you down. You're talking about Khan or Captain April? Captain April. Yeah, so that was in Countdown to Darkness. Indeed. Right. And I and I, we talked about that before. So yeah. yes, uh, it's phasers do whatever they're supposed to do for the story. So there you go. <laughs> well, what did you think about the story? Did you like it? Yeah, I thought it was good. I was fine. Yeah, I mean, it's short. Uh, yeah, it's short. And I knew there was something going on. He was going to get in trouble with that hot blonde. But I didn't know exactly what. So, there you go. Right. And she looked really good when she had her guy bait outfit on. <laughs> right. So, basically, it's a uh, like wraparound tight skirt and then uh, kind of a, a top. Almost like a bikini, but more of, I don't know how, how you would describe it, because it's definitely two pieces. Yeah, it, then it shows off her, her fine abs, and it, it does go around the back, like you say, so it isn't really a bikini, but eh, kind of not that far away from the front. Right. Yeah, so, obviously she was wearing it that for a reason. Right, and I did like how the Andorian barkeeper was like, mm, don't even try, she <laughs> shut down everybody. And yeah. then, of course, Bashir being who he is, well, she just hasn't met the right man. <laughs> she hasn't met me yet. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly uh, what he Julian. says. She hasn't met me, my good man. <laughs> uh, uh, I liked it. I thought it was yeah. funny. So uh, what do you think of the Ryza Express, if we can talk about that ship? Yeah, I liked it. I thought that was actually a pretty cool design. I thought it was very interesting, too. And what does it look like? It looks like the upside-down engineering section of the Enterprise-D. Indeed. So it's basically engineering the engineering section, and then it's got the deflector dish on the front. Well, I shouldn't call it a dish. It's not a dish. But deflector in the front, just like the Enterprise-D. And then it's got two nacelles on the side that look a lot like the Enterprise-D nacelles, although much, but they must be smaller. Right. So uh, it was an interesting reuse of parts in the uh, designer's uh, imagination. Design. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, I thought it was pretty cool. And I liked how it didn't have the big saucer, you know, because it shouldn't. It's just a little shuttle. You know, it's, it's basically a party bus. <laughs> right. But probably a pretty fast one. Right, right. I'm guessing. 
Yeah, because it goes to Deep Space Nine, and then it's going to swing over to Deep Space Seven and pick up a few people, and then it's going to head on over to Ryza. Yeah. So, yeah. Party. It's kind of funny that they have these these shuttles that just go around the galaxy picking up people to take to Ryza. Yeah, and the interesting part about that is, obviously, that's not a Federation ship. I mean, it's not a Starfleet ship. No, no. Um, But it definitely looks like it's it's made from... uh, Starfleet parts. Well, they probably bought it surplus, you know. Ah, there you go. They may, once, they started de- once they started decommissioning the Galaxy-class ships, they were just like, you know, we got a lot of these engineering sections. Uh, so let's use them. And nacelles. <laughs> right, right. Anyways. I was just commenting when she thought that the Cardassians had Voyager and Chakotay's ships. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, Teresa? Guess again, Einstein. No, not true at all. No, but she doesn't know that yet. She Nobody does not re- know that. Nobody knows that for sure. No. And I like that. I liked how they, like, not even Julian or any of the Federation know for sure what happened to Voyager. Right. Which is how it should be. Exactly. It really makes me wish that there was a Voyager comic. I kind of regret that we're going to have to wait a few more years before Marvel starts putting one out. Right. Well, um, I, I liked I liked Voyager. It wasn't my favorite. Of the series, but it was uh, it was pretty good. Yeah. Well, I have no more comments for this setup story. Yeah, and the only other comment I have is, you know, because you you know you're reading this, you know that it's Maki something, and you know something's gonna happen while he's on vacation. So when he's talking to her and he orders the drinks, and you see a close up of the bartender's hands, and he's putting like drops of something into one of the drinks. I guess he's just preparing it. But uh, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, he's slipping something extra in one of their drinks. There on page four. I guess it's some sort of food coloring, but it's just odd that they do a close-up of that. Yeah, that is odd. So I was really like, oh, that means something. <laughs> or else <laughs> they wouldn't just, bother showing it or bother drawing just, it. Exactly. And then she just shoots him later, and I'm like, mm, I guess it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was wrong. Or maybe it was like a foreshadowing kind of thing. Danger coming. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I must say that uh, I think Picard's trip to Ryza and his little adventure with a hot brunette. With Vash? I guess. I think that worked out a little better than Bashir's little adventure, at least so far. Yeah, so you want to... We can see what happens next. The good thing about this, I don't think we mentioned it earlier, is that we're going to get all three issues in this one. Episode, right. so. so we will do the full story arc. No waiting. No. Well, there will be a little waiting because we got to do this little side story. Well, okay, but I meant between episodes. All right. Well, you ready to move on? Let's do it. All right. So the little backup story is entitled Memoirs of an Invisible Ferengi. Chris Dowes and Colin Clayton are the writers. Brian Michael Bendis is the penciler. Bruce McCorkendale is the inker. Pat Brasu is the letterer. Moose Bauman is the color design. Gone Fishing with Ruth Yagaspore and Charlene Gettner is the interior color. Clarissa Mansala is the assistant editor and Mark Pansia is the editor. The story starts off with Quark finding his brother at the bar and he seems quite rattled. His clothes are all in tatters and he seems a little shaken up. He starts to tell Rom the story of recent events. 
And then there's the wavy lines as we go back in time. Earlier that day, a Romulan ship arrived at the station. And the Romulans went straight to Quark's bar and requested use of the hollow suites. The Romulan commander gives Quark a suitcase, and he demands that he take care of it until he returns. In Quark's office, curiosity gets the best of him, and he opens the case to find a belt. Puzzled, he goes ahead and picks up the belt and tries it on. As soon as he snaps the buckle, he finds out that he's cloaked. Invisible. He takes advantage of his invisibility by sneaking into ops. He is nearly hit a few times by the unexpected crew tossing around their data pads in a kind of a, a weird moment o'brien says hey kira throw me your pad and she throws it and nearly knocks him in the head and then as he's trying to leave he gets trampled to the ground by some unknown crewmen as they enter the room cork takes this as a sign to leave he then decides to visit odo in his office odo starts to test a flamethrower and he actually catches cork's clothes on fire the Ferengi hightails it out of there, screaming, Ah! Giving in to desires other than financial, Quark visits Dax's quarters as she's about to get into the shower. He is getting quite an eyeful until a couple of ensigns deliver a large console and end up smashing it into Quark. He returns to his bar and takes off the belt. As soon as he does so, the Romulans catch him, and they tell him that he is just field tested the device they tell them that <clears throat> they tell him that he's just been bombarded with high doses of radiation that the belt was producing and it is bound to make him sick and then they take the belt and leave cork then finishes his story with rom and as soon as he's done he must excuse himself so that he can go throw up the end a charming light little ferengi comedy story eh Right. This one, I kind of wondered, is he really invisible? That's what I kept waiting for the joke to be. Because it seems like everybody kind of sees him. I mean, why else would she throw the data pad and hit him in the head? Why would Odo be... Well, because it's supposed to be funny. I know, but it just seems... <laughs> it just seems like they're doing it on purpose. Like, catching <laughs> Odo, when Odo's like catching his clothes on fire. The only time that it doesn't seem like they really see him as when Dax is taking a shower and he's just sitting on a little pedestal with yeah. a big grin on his face. Well, I don't think they saw him ever. I don't but either. But I, I find that hard to believe because, or at least, at least in those in the case, those three guys were coming out of the turbo lift and walk over him. I mean, wouldn't you like almost trip? Of course. If you, you were step stepping on top of somebody instead of the ground, wouldn't you notice that? Of course. Uh, I didn't like that part. No. And and this is all supposed to be light slapstick humor. <laughs> so you kind of make allowances. So, right. you know, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, of course, I don't blame him for going to see Dax. Okay, got that. Uh, or Judzia. Uh, I guess he didn't go there to watch the uh, symbiote. And uh, <laughs> so... He has a thing for worms. <laughs> ugh. But I got a question. Don't okay. they have, like, hollow suites on a Romulan ship? I right. mean, so the the initial premise that they're there to take advantage of his world-famous hollow suites seems a little odd. Right. I never understood 
why they always make a big deal about the hollow suites there in Quark's Bar because right. I'm I'm used to Voyager and Enterprise and other ships that just have them on there. Right. But I guess if you, I mean, maybe not all species have holodecks. We don't I don't know what the yeah. Romulans have on their ship. Yeah, maybe they do other things for entertainment, or maybe they don't need to be entertained. I don't know, but they just meditate after hours, after working. I don't know, but uh, you'd think they at least had the technology they could have it if they wanted it. Right, but then they wouldn't have the programs, the uh, the desirable pro- uh, programs that Quark has. So you're saying that uh, Romulans don't have the incentive to create such programs? No, I'm just saying Quarks is, you know, they they don't they don't pirate stuff. So Oh, okay. has bought uh-huh. and designed the greatest hollow programs in the in the universe. Yeah. And that's what he's famous for. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> I just know that they've always talked about how great his programs are and and that's kind of why people go to Quarks. Ah, I, I never thought it. Yeah. Well, I guess if there were any kind of moral inhibitions that would maybe limit what you would program if you were a Starfleet officer on the Enterprise, well, I guess the Ferengi wouldn't have much hole in the back. Right. Maybe they, uh, you know, if somebody wants to run a program that they don't want the uh, chief of security to find someday, they just uh, rent a hollow suite at Quarks. And <laughs> there you go. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. Yes, you're right. It's just a, a comical little story, and I just thought it was a little convenient that everybody was hitting him in the head and catching mm-hmm. him fire, and and even and I really didn't understand why the ensigns brought that console to oh, her off, while she's in, in the shower. Yeah, she just opens the shower door. Come in. You know where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be in here showering. Yes. Yes. I don't know. Anyways. All right. I don't really have anything else to say about this one. You? Cool. I don't. Let's go to number two, shall well, we? Plus, why could nobody hear him as he's running down the promenade screaming? Ah! <laughs> well, they probably did. And the smoke's coming gonna... Yeah, exactly. I mean, you should... It's like when you <laughs> throw paint on the invisible man or, uh, you know, run the run the bathtub so you get, like, mist in the, you know, in the room so the invisible man shows up. Yeah. Right. That smoke should have uh, not only had people looking, but they could tell exactly where he's running to. Right. Yeah. But again, it's light and eerie. Right. Don't think too much. I'll try not to. Just revel in the humor. I'm reveled. Excellent. Okay. So now I'm going to be doing the synopsis for the second issue in this nice little story arc. This particular issue is titled Rats in a Maze. And it has a published date of March 1995. The writer is Mark A. Altman, penciler Rob Davis. I think it's probably pretty much the same people. Um, Yeah, I think it's all the same people. Yeah. Okay, I'll stop. The cover shows Dr. Bashir in wrist manacles, walking across an arid planetary surface with an armed Cardassian behind him. The heads of Gul Dukat and Garak are superimposed in the top of the cover. The issue opens on a Cardassian ship, where Dr. Bashir and his Maquis kidnappers are all chained and being conducted to cells. The Cardassians that captured them in the end of the previous issue think they are all Maquis, including Dr. Bashir. Once in his cell, 
with a Marquis named Anderson. Bashir tells Anderson he hopes they have not covered their tracks too well. He is overdue, and is confident Commander Sisko has already launched an investigation. Meanwhile, at DS9, Dax raises concerns over Julian being overdue from his Ryza trip, but Sisko says yeah, he's probably lost track of the time with some lovely lady. O'Brien is okay with his slight extension in his friend's vacation also. Bashir and his Maquis companions find themselves slaves on a desert planet, doing mining work under the cruel whip of Gul Dulcet. The Gull is in contact with Gul Dukat over subspace, who is telling him to complete the plan to the letter or else. The connection is terminated, and Dulcet says to himself he will, and thereby restore himself to his rightful place in Central Command. Dirty and tired, Bashir is mining with Anderson and talking. No one so far has seen Chakotay or the crew of Voyager on this planet. Bashir questions whether they're here at all. Anderson says they are here. Their information is from an unimpeachable source. Tessa received it herself. Bashir asks if Anderson has seen Tessa. He has not. Since their capture, actually, no one has. Angry at her disappearance and his powerlessness so far in the situation, Bashir accosts a Gardassian guard, saying he is chief medical officer on Deep Space Nine. He is not a Maquis, but was kidnapped by them and taken on this mission. He asks to speak to the Cardassian commanding officer. The ruffian grabs Bashir by the throat and pins him against a boulder, calling him nothing but Worker 241. Bashir warns him he has friends in the Obsidian Order, and they will hear of this. The Cardassian says he doubts anyone will hear from him again. Worker 241... The guard and his fellow guard leaves Bashir nursing his bruised neck. Anderson calls Bashir crazy, but Bashir thinks he may have sent his message after all. Later, after a disgusting meal, Bashir is taken from the other prisoners to a room that is occupied by the second guard from the altercation earlier in the day. His name is Tran, and he tells Bashir that if he really does have friends in the Obsidian Order, he may be able to get word to them for a price. But first, Tran must be convinced the Doctor does indeed have a connection to the Order. He first tells Tran to contact Garak on Deep Space Nine. When Tran says that would be difficult, Bashir tells him Garak is the protege of Anabran. Contact him, and he will be rewarded. Tran says he knows of Inabran. He is quite powerful. Tran agrees to get word to Inabran. Back on Deep Space Nine, Garrick is completing a dress for Jazia. As she leaves his shop, a purple-skinned alien enters looking for Garrick. He says a young friend of Garrick's requires his help. An hour later, Garak arrives in Sisko's office and tells him a courier brought him word that Dr. Bashir is being held with 30 Maquis hostages in a secret prison camp in the Lakara sector. Garak tells Sisko he could not confirm this information, but it does seem quite possible. Sisko says he will contact Gul Dukat for confirmation, but Garak warns against it. If Dukat finds out Sisko knows about the prison camp, the doctor will likely die. 
Sisko says he will be making alternate inquiries, and he wants Garak's aid. Garak agrees. In fact, Garak even has an idea that involves Quark. Sisko asks Quark for something, which Quark eventually admits a surplus depot in the Quailor section may have. Sisko thanks him for the information, and ends up taking Quark and Garrick with him in a runabout. Before they leave, Sisko briefs his staff and tells them to contact Admiral Nchayev if he is not back in three days. They meet a Zakdornian who sells Quark a Cardassian shuttle at a significant discount, mind you. Quark and Odo stay in the runabout as Garrick and Sisko transport over to the Cardassian shuttle. The scene cuts to Dr. Bashir, Anderson, and other prisoners mining away at gunpoint. A rock slide is triggered that buries a prisoner. Dr. Bashir tries to help him and tells the Cardassian guard to get a medical kit. He's a doctor. The guard does not, and when Bashir annoyingly insists, so do they, with the back of their hands. The scene cuts to the prison facility where Gull Doucette is being told that a shuttle has entered orbit requesting permission to beam supplies down if they will lower their shields. The Gull gives the orders to lower the shields with a smile on his face. In the prison storage facilities, Sisko and Garrick beam down and are greeted by a smiling Dulcet and five armed guards. Dulcet welcomes Garrick calls him friend, and apologizes for disappointing him by being quite alive. To be concluded in the next thrill-packed issue. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, so the plot thickens. Indeed it does. So this appears to be some kind of trap, hmm? A very elaborate trap. Extremely elaborate. So, they did all this to get Garak? Starting to look that way. I mean, we Mm. won't know for sure, but starting to look that way. Yeah, well, I'll tell you one thing. There were so many twists and turns, and so many things had to happen just right. I think I'll start calling this uh, Gul Dusat Colonel Hogan. It's like, (laughs) jeez, a lot of stuff had to go just right for this plan to come off. Uh, you, you, you're saying Hogan, or uh, what was the German guy's name? Oh, Colonel Clink? Clink. No. <laughs> Colonel <laughs> Clink. No, no. Hogan always had the plan. Right. Clink always fell for it. But Clink was the, uh, you know, the, the commander of the POW camp, which well, this guy's kind of doing. Yeah, he is. It's yeah. just that he's got the plan, apparently. Or, or perhaps it's... Ducat. Ducat. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> or maybe Garrick. We still don't know where he falls. He might still be part of the Obsidian Order. It's all just his thing. We don't know wow. yet. I'm just wow. Make, now make that would that would really be <laughs> a convoluted uh, plan with uh, even a new low a layer of everything just having to go just right. Right. So, did you enjoy the? Uh, ongoing joke in this one I'm just a simple tag oh that yeah 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 then Quark is nothing but a simple bartender right Uh, yep they did it a lot in this issue they did and And they continue to do it in the next issue right I do like how Cisco calls him on it I don't want to hear about it 
<laughs> sick and tired of everybody saying that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what's interesting as we go through the story, I'm not going to go into details, but there are things that Garrick says that makes you think he has nothing to do with the Obsidian Order anymore. And then there's other things he does that makes you think, man, that guy is connected with the Obsidian Order. So right. It's kind of that's something I always liked about that character. I mean, even though Bashir found more stuff out along the way, you never really were quite sure whether you know exactly how gullible Bashir was and and how much uh, Garrick might have been playing him. Right. Right. So that's what I liked about it. That's what I liked yeah. about his character. Right. He's interesting. So, what do you think about that shipyard that they travel to to pick up? Cardassian scout ship? Um, to be perfectly honest, not that much. Uh, was, were there other ships or something I should have noticed? Or Well, there's there's one ship in, in the, on page 14 that looks like a old school, like oh. original series Bird of Prey, a uh-huh. Romulan Bird of Prey. Right. I just thought that was kind of cool that they showed that. Yeah. And then yeah, they I... have what looks like to be the Defiant. A green defiant. But kind of green. Right. Yeah, because they don't show you all of it. Right. But, but. It, the, the the parts you do see, it does seem like the defiant with a with a different uh, posterior. Right. But I, I just really liked seeing the the old school um, original series type ship, and then you know they're already talking about. You know, the Cardassian ship being so old, so it was kind of cool to see an old ship that we're familiar with next to what they're saying is an old Cardassian ship. Oh, good. good I point. thought it was kind of cool. That's a good point. It was very interesting how much power the Obsidian Order wields within the uh, Cardassian civilization. All you have to do is mention their name, no matter what you are, and make claims about it, and you'll get somebody's attention. Right. Now, who, whose attention are you talking about? The guard. The guard? Yes. Yeah, which makes me kind of wonder if he was waiting for that. Because doesn't oh, well, set need that guy to co- try to contact uh, somebody in the... Um, contact Garrick? Yes. Yeah. So. Oh, it's, it's all part of the plan. But still... I mean, the idea that that would be something that is uh, understandable or mm, something people would buy just underscores how much power the Obsidian Order has in the uh, society. Right. I think. But. Right. I mean, it's like the old KGB or whatever in, in, in exactly. Soviet Union and things like that. Right. Right. You did not want to cross them, and if you did, you may disappear. Oh, yes. Like Dr. Bashir. Right. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, but Dr. Bashir crossing the guards, right. I guess what I'm trying to say. But again, it was still convoluted as far as I, I was unclear if the guard was in on it, right. you know, and he was just waiting for Bashir to say something so that they could have the excuse to contact Garrick. I think he was waiting. And why? Why would they wait? I mean, does well, Bashir really want... need to know that, that he... No, I think that's a good he point. Set, he set the uh, uh, dominoes in motion. I mean, that's completely a good point. But maybe they don't. Maybe it'll be more plausible to Garak if the word gets back the way Bashir may try to do it. I don't know. Right. I mean, try, trying to go through the 
through Garex Mentor. Right. Anyways, uh, it so, was just a little overly complex. This this whole this whole thing. Yeah. Ergo, the Colonel Hogan reference. <laughs> right. Of course, Hogan's Heroes. In case anybody's really young, look it up. Yeah, that, that's a that's a series that needs to be remade. <sighs> I mean, they did a movie of Mikhail's Navy, which was kind of the same thing. Yeah. You know, old old sitcom based in. Yep. With Ash. Right. And uh, Tom Arnold, right? He was the main character. Uh, right, yeah, he was Mikhail. Right, and Ash obviously being um, Bruce Campbell. Of course. Just in case somebody don't doesn't know that? catch our references. People don't know that? All right. I think someone did write us one time and said that, you know, we just referred to, uh, what is this? Uh, I'm going to just call him Mickey again. Uh, what's his name? Noah Clark? No. Right. Uh, well, I don't remember the guy's name, but Mickey from Doctor Who. Right, but we just call him Mickey, and uh, somebody didn't know who we were talking about. Oh, okay, well. So uh, again, you know, I, I sorry you're out of the loop, pal, but come on, it's Mickey. <laughs> what do you want? Or maybe we're out of the loop because we don't uh, know their real names always. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, if you if you watch the reboot of Doctor Who, you'd know who Mickey was. I'm just saying. This is not a Doctor Who podcast. It's Star Trek. It's I not know, an Army of Darkness podcast. Although, I know, I know. both of those franchises are, are fantastic. Right. All right. Um, speaking of little demonic monsters, what do you think about that rat thing eating their food? <laughs> We're talking about demonic monsters? Army okay. of Darkness. I was trying to make a little segue. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, is, that is reaching. Um, yeah. it's, just, it's just a big rat, outer space rat. What's it had the... six legs. Well, and it was it's, pink. It's alien. So I wasn't quite sure was the was the creature supposed to be their food or was what the creature's <laughs> eating supposed to be their food? Um, I think somehow the outer space six legged rat had uh, got to their food before they did. Yeah. Well, then I think that I might get to that six legged rat pretty That's... quick. That's some. That's six beautiful drumsticks right there. Oh wow! I am disgusted. Well, after mining that rock all day for no apparent reason, you might get hungry. You'd want something to eat. I agree. But so is Tessa in this issue? I don't believe so. Yeah, no, she's. I she's don't remember being in AWOL in this one. Yeah. Yeah, so which, I, which, quite frankly, by this point, I pretty much had the idea that she was. Not all she purported to be. Right. Or she might that. she might be off with uh, Chakotay and uh, the yeah. rest of the crew. But Yeah, right. <laughs> now, we know that's not the case. We know that's not the case. So where yeah. is she? Hmm. Wait, odd she's been she... gone all this time. Yep. And Odd, the one person that led you into uh, a Cardassian ship to be captured, uh, just happens to not be around. Right. Sorry. Well, we'll find out soon enough, I think. Yes, we will. So, I only have one more comment, and it's about Chidzia's dress that okay. Garrick's making for her. Right. It's really ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a white, almost see-through gown, because you can see her legs and stuff through the material. Uh-huh. But it's like white with like just somebody taking a marker, of, a blue marker, and just making some squigglies down, yeah. down the front and the back. Yeah. 
it's it's really odd. Well, I, and I don't think it's ugly. I just find it to be rather meh. I mean, yeah. it, it, without this, without this little uh, blue squiggly all over it. And by the way, this squiggly is huge <laughs> uh, across the front. It's just a plain white dress, pretty plain. And the dress looks nice by itself. I mean, I like the sleeves. I like the way yeah. it, it, you know, it's tapered at the uh, at the hem. It's mm-hmm. a nice dress, but it's just the blue squiggly thing really, you know, screams of Doesn't something. Doesn't do it that, for you. It's like something from the. I guess it is a product of its time. This was what made in the '90s, and that was kind of a fashion there for a while. You know, the Big neon and things. Well, the oh. neon, you know, piping, and it was maybe not yeah. like this, but. Yeah. I could see it being a fashion of the 90s. Yep. But she changes clothes from that to her work clothes in like one panel, which I thought <laughs> Yeah. Well, she's fast. Okay. So what else you got, kid? I got nothing else on this one, but I am ready to talk about the next one. Let's do so. The, the short story. Yes. So the next short story is A Tree Grows on Bajor. Cisco and his son, Jake take a runabout down to Bajor, where Sisko and Jake have been asked to take part in a ceremony. Jake is not crazy about going, but his father reminds him they were both invited. Jake says all they are going to do is plant a tree. On Bajor, Sisko and Jake are on an overlook, seeing barren land with burnt stubble where trees once stood. Sisko explains to Jake that when the Cardassians withdrew, they burnt what they could not take. The Federation is helping the Bajorans to reforest their lands, but it's a slow process. So much damage to undo. A Bajoran procession walks towards where they stand. The monk in the back is carrying a small hyliptus tree, which the Bajorans believe bring good fortune. Jake says he recognizes it and remembers on the Saratoga just prior to Wolf 359. He and his mother planted a hyliptus tree, just like it, in the ship's arboretum. Mom asked Jake to promise to water it, care for it, and watch it grow. Jake promised. Jake is quite emotional remembering his mother. The priest plants the tree and waters it. He says a prayer over it and speaks to the procession of citizens. He proclaims that the cycle of life has begun. A cycle that will renew life on this part of their world. The ceremony done, the assembled Bajorans celebrate, hugging each other and whooping it up. Sisko hoped that Jake would have appreciated how important the ceremony was to the Bajorans. When Sisko turns, he is surprised to see a tear that is falling from Jake's right eye. He thinks the kid gets it after all. The end. So, I have a question. Yes. And it's just one, because that's about my only comment. Yeah, it's probably uh, the same one I've got. Go ahead. <laughs> is the tree that they plant on the Saratoga a Bajoran tree? Oh, and that's not my if, question. And if not, why are they planting a tree not native to Bajor on Bajor to try to reforest the planet? Um, I'm going to guess the former. But, quite frankly, I do not know. I think it's quite a coincidence that the Bajorans are, are planting the same tree that uh, that Jake and his mother did just before she died. I think that's very uh, coincidental. Right, so there's either two, one of two huge coincidences. One, mm. 
why would she be planting a Bajoran tree not knowing that in a few years um, Cisco will be the emissary on Bajor right or your the other one which is the priests are using a non-native Bajoran a non-native to Bajor tree to do the first planting and it just happens to be the tree that they planted right on the Saratoga yeah so that was my good question big problem with this issue or this story what was your what was oh, your problem well, well it wasn't a, a coincidence just yeah. just how does that how did that really happen I mean why yeah. would it be the same exact plant yeah it seems unlikely but yeah whatever um, my question is and I kind of liked it at the end because there was a little bit of ambiguity there although it, you pretty much know what happened but at the end you know well what did Jake get the question is what did he get was it the memories of his mother in a similar ceremony that the mother and son took part in, or was it for the Bajorans and the hope that the tree gave them for a brighter future? Yeah. And it's like, you know, Cisco thinks one thing, because I'm guessing he was not aware of that tree planting thing. He um, doesn't seem to be. Right. And, of course, I, I'm pretty sure it's the memory of his mother That's the that, way he, I that he's tearing up over. Right. Uh, not the Bajoran thing at all. But uh, I, I, I kind of like how they had different perceptions, the, the father and son, over what was going on. Right. I kind of like that. Yeah, I did too. Now, you know, most stories are kind of simplistic. There's only one thing going on, not a lot of ambiguity. This had a little bit of ambiguity on the part of the two main characters. I kind of like that. Okay. Right. That's really my only comment. Right. So the... I mean, this was this was the tree was only planted the day before Wolf three five nine, right? So he never once watered it, right? Because they planted it the next day, Sarah right. <clears throat> destroyed. So, I mean, I was thinking that maybe you know, since Cisco is the emissary, that they asked him, you know, what kind of tree do you want us to plant, and he would have picked that one because of the tie-in with uh, his wife. But but you're right, it. I'm I'm still trying to justify why the trees are the same. I mean, oh, if they, just if they relax, ask him, Donovan. Donovan, let the story take you on its dulcet wings. All right, I, I'm taken. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Any any comments on that one? Not not anymore. I just had one. That, yeah, it was me too. Okay. All right. So the next issue is entitled Part Three. Now hold on one second. I don't have a buck up. Victims of Deceit. Alright, so the next issue is entitled Chapter 3, Victims of Deceit. Was Roxanne Starr the literary of the last one? Um, I don't Actually, know, but these, she these is are this different. one. Uh, there's yeah. some differences, yeah. Alright, so there's some differences in the writing staff, so I'll uh, read through them hopefully pretty quick. Uh, Mark A. Altman is the writer... Rob Davis is the penciler. Jack Snyder is the inker. Roxanne Starr, letterer. Jennifer Sletchinger Sletchen, is the color separati- separatists. Uh, Clarissa. Is that what color seps is? Yeah, color separations. Separations. Fascinating. Okay, good. Clarissa Manasala is the assistant editor, and Mark Pansia is the editor. So this came out April of 1995. The cover shows Cisco and two other humans firing with Federation phasers at uh, some 
unseen enemy. He's just off screen somewhere. Their blue phaser energy is in strange contrast with the green and yellow fire coming their way. To their side, we see a Cardassian in full military uniform returning fire at the unseen opponents. This definitely is not Garrick. So, who could it be? We don't know. The story starts off with Goldset having Garrick and Sisko at Disruptor Point. Dulcet orders his men to take them to their cells, and that he will deal with them later. Back on Deep Space Nine, Kira reminds us that she's been ordered to wait for Sisko's return. Dax tries to talk her into taking the Defiant out to search for the commander. Kira states that she will follow Sisko's orders and wait the three days. Back on the planet, Sisko and Garrick are placed in a cell with Bashir's old roommate, Anderson. The Maquis tells Sisko about the rock slide and the beating that the doctor took last issue. He has not seen him since the guards drug him away. Garrick then tells everyone how he used to know Dulcet. They were both stationed on Bajor. Dulcet would take what he wanted from the Bajorans, money, jewelry, and even forced companionship from the women. He was eventually caught, and he blames Garrick for losing his position and honor among the Obsidian Order. Meanwhile, in the medical ward, Bashir is still unconscious. The Cardassians say there is nothing they can do for him. Tessa snatches the tricorder, and she scans Bashir herself, realizing that he only needs a hypo of Ambuzine. The Cardassians leave her to her work. Soon, the doctor wakes. She tells him that she arranged his capture as a trap for Garrick. She was working with the Cardassians to save her brother Tom, who was with Chakotay when their ship and Voyager disappeared. He tells her that she has been misled. She refuses to accept that. And as they talk, Julian sneakily grabs a hypo and he attacks her with it, knocking her out. He then uses the hypo again on the guards outside his door and makes his way to the detention cells. In the cells, Sisko and Garrick talk about how unpractical this whole trap is just to capture Garrick. Garrick tells him that Dukat is also behind it and that Dukat would not risk an assassination of Garrick while he was on Deep Space Nine. Bashir then arrives with an armful of phasers. Now that everyone is armed and out of their cells, they head towards the hangar bay. In the command room of the outpost, Dulcet sees that the rebels have escaped and are all in the hangar bay. He is about to flood the room with deadly gas when Sisko, Garrick, and Bashir arrive and demand him to stop. The phasers pointed at him seem to prove their resolve, and he does. While he gloats that they will not win, he and Garrick suddenly dematerialize. Sisko then learns that the shuttle in the hangar bay is damaged and will not fly, and that the outpost has been set to auto-destruct. In Dulcet's shuttle, Garrick, Tessa, and Dulcet fly away from the planet. Tessa demands that he take her to her brother. Only then does Dulcet tell her what we all already know. Tom and the Voyager and the Maquis crew are still missing and not captured by the Cardassians. As the shock of this betrayal sinks in, Dulcet kills the young woman. Back on the planet, Sisko makes peace with the remaining Cardassians. 
Unfortunately, the peace will be short-lived since the outpost is about to blow up due to the chain reaction that Dilset started before his departure. There is nothing anyone can do except wait until the end. Suddenly, Bashir and Sisko are beamed away onto the Defiant. Once they materialize, Kira tells the commander that she waited the three days and then she came to search for him. Sisko orders her to beam everyone off the planet before it explodes. They do so just in time, and as they leave the planet, the outpost becomes a mushroom cloud of destruction. On Cardassia Prime, Dulcet delivers Garrick to Dukat. He asks to be there when Garrick is executed. Dukat informs the man that Garrick is free and that it is Dulcet himself that is under arrest. Sisko has already arrived with the captured Cardassians, and he has informed everyone that Dulcet sacrificed his men and the outpost for a petty vendetta. Sisko makes a comment about Garrick being just a simple tailor and not understanding what all this fuss is about. And then he returns to the ship and leaves. Later, Bashir has a conversation with Anderson. He tells him about Tessa being misled regarding the missing ships. He offers to help any way he can when Anderson is brought up in the Starfleet hearing. Anderson says there's nothing he can do, and if only Bashir knew how the Cardassians really were. Bashir then reminds him that it was a Cardassian that saved all their lives. The end. It was also a Cardassian that set up this whole thing and put them all to slave labor. Yeah, I didn't really get that last part. I was like, what? Yeah. Because it was really Kira who saved all their lives. I don't know what 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 Cardassian you're really talking about. Except that Garrick, oh, got- Garrick told Sisko to, to come and set that part in motion. So the guy that that went ahead and gave them their, their com badges and their phasers... Oh, that guy. Yeah. Who was going to die also. So, yeah, once, I mean, they made, once they made friends with him. Right. Well, right. enough that he basically said, oh, there's your stuff. Whatever. <laughs> We're I'm going to die, die too. <laughs> exactly. He's <laughs> like, hey, you might as well take him. Yeah. Uh, good point. Maybe, maybe that's what he's talking about? I thought he meant Garrick or... The guard that told, you know, got the word to Garrick. I didn't know who he was talking about. To tell you the truth. Well, actually, there were a couple of people. At right. the end, the guy that gave him the phaser and the and the com badges, you could he could have meant the guard that got word, but he did that in self interest. And you don't like you said in the last issue. It's probably all part of the setup anyway. It has to be, otherwise, yeah. I don't understand how how it was all going to get set up anyways. Right. Yeah, I do like how in this issue they actually point out. Man, this seems like a complicated, uh, um, impractical trap just for you. (laughs) Because it is. And can I start calling you Colonel Hogan? Okay. (laughs) I don't really – I mean, yes, that's what everybody's thinking. And just because the character says it doesn't make it okay. Any less harder to swallow. (laughs) It's like, okay, you're just basically making fun of your own story at this point. Well – yeah, so so they're basically acknowledging, yes, it's kind of ridiculous. All these things would have to fall into place. But hey, there's a story. Like, here you go. At least we're admitting it. Okay, can we move on? <laughs> right. So anyways, maybe the maybe you're right. Maybe him giving the com badges to Bashir and Cisco is what Kira is able to lock on and beam them away. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't you, know you, you think they've got... 
they'd be able to scan the uh, facility and find the humans using right. sensors, but who knows? Whatever. That's that's what they always do. They do. They do. But this might have just happened quicker because, uh, well, I don't know. Whatever. Okay, so Tessa's a doctor? I don't know if she's really a doctor or if she just says that when he's like looking around saying, who's what doctor brought me back to life or fixed me? And she's like, well, I'm the doctor. I'm the doctor. You're the doctor. I'm the doctor. And she proceeds to grab a, a, a Cardassian medical tricorder, figure out what the problem is and diagnose the right drug. Right. So do you think the Cardassians were just not trying? I mean, if all he I really think... needed was one hypo of whatever that. Yeah, it was a, okay. So all the guards could give a rat's butt about any of the uh, workers, and they right. would, you know, kill them at the drop of a hat or let them die. Either right. one, they didn't care. And I think that is pretty much the same thing the doctor was doing. Mm. The Cardassian doctor, of course. Right. He is the doctor of the labor camp, whatever. Right. So he really doesn't care much. He doesn't have that wonderful bedside manner of Doctor Bashir. Right. So is this her redemption? I mean, yeah, she tricked everybody. She basically sacrificed her whole crew, uh, the Maquis crew that she was leader of, just to try to save her brother. Is is this is that supposed to be her redemption scene? Because I don't really see it as that. And then I really regretted that when she finds out that she's being misled the whole time that she just dies. Yeah. I mean, that that's really kind of... Yeah unfortunate for her character arc yeah. that she never has a chance to, you know, redeem herself. try to redeem herself. It's yeah. just like, oh, I've been lying to you the whole time. Yeah. I don't know where your brother is. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because as, as the three of them are in that shuttle, you're thinking, oh man, she's going to have an opportunity to do something here. She needed uh, that. Her character arc needed some sort of redemption. Yeah, but she didn't. She was, uh, she was an idiot. I mean, so... Because of her love for her brother Tom was that strong, she allowed herself to be duped by uh, Car- the Cardassian Colonel Hogan. And right. uh, that's it. She was an idiot. Yeah, that's unfortunate. She ends up paying the ultimate price. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah. And but so sorry. Did, almost everybody else did, too, when, if the uh, reactor would really would have blown up. Or if or everybody's still there. been there. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, if she... Okay, so if she was that emotionally charged about the Maquis cause, she would let all those people die, be captured and die? Right. You know. I don't think part of her little deal was that, oh, all 30 of the people you got into this trouble, well, wh- whatever number, um, they're all going to be released. No, I don't think that not. was part of her deal. No. Yeah, so. I did think it was funny that of all the people that Dulcet was going to take on his shuttle, he picked her. I don't really understand why she was there. Well, uh, here, here's an indirect motivation. She's hot. Oh, uh, and he does like... Uh, but he knows, he likes does Bajoran like women. ladies. Well, she's not Bajoran, but... Well, I know that, but close, close enough. enough. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, get rid of the ridge thing and the earring, and boom, you got a human. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe he doesn't like the spoon heads. He's a he likes he likes the smooth foreheads. Yeah, he takes a walk on the wild side. <laughs> yeah, he's a very nasty character. Yeah, 
I mean, I thought it was a little much to talk about him basically raping Bajoran women during the oh. occupation. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, they. I mean, it's not very subtle. Well, they didn't say. They, well, they at least they didn't say rape. No, uh, his word was uh, uh, from the Bajoran women. He would demand other things. Well, that's then, subtle. <laughs> it's not that subtle. But if you were a kid, you wouldn't know. Yeah. So it's better than saying he raped them <laughs> at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it's definitely. It's 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 pretty clear what he was doing. Yeah, I agree, but they didn't come right out and say it. Mm. Could have been worse. Could have been worse. Could have been worse. All right. So, I like at the end... Okay, so at the end, when Cisco was able to turn the tables uh, on Dulcet by using um, Ducat, by right. basically saying, you know what, um... You know, we found out about all this stuff, and you know, basically, maybe he didn't come out right out and say it. And matter of fact, it'd be better if he didn't. But basically, he's saying, um, all this is going to come to light, and you know, either you can go ahead and take care of Dulcet yourself, or you'll go down with him. So, I thought that was very smart of Cisco, and who knows? I'm not sure if it was his or Garrick's idea, but I think it was Cisco's idea. But whatever, well played. Well played. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. Right. right. Yeah, especially since, you know, he still doesn't know for sure how, how involved Ducat is. I mean, well, he doesn't. Garrick, but Garrick, Garrick pretty much does. His, yeah, but he doesn't have any proof. Uh, no, no proof, but he knows pretty much what's going on. Right. He's the all knowing Garrick. Exactly. I mean, uh, Dulcet, I think he actually said it. Dulcet's been in a penal colony somewhere. I mean, how is he going to know all this information about Garrick's new life, you know? Some, no, someone else was involved, and that someone else was Ducat, who wants me dead. It all makes perfect sense. <laughs> Anyways. But I like how they turned the tables at the end. Very yeah. smart. Very and, smart. And I did like Ducat's final little moment. Uh, I don't know who the woman is that he's with, but uh, he basically says that... Uh, he will not an- underestimate Garrick or Cisco again. And then she says, um, you will, but one day they will underestimate you. <laughs> and that is when you will have your victory over them. <laughs> yes. So unfortunately, I don't know who she is. No, I mean, the first thing I thought was Ducat's daughter, but no, yeah, just right. some chick that hangs around with him. Right. She probably is somebody, and I just... Somebody you should know? Yes, I should because know. Because that, that dress looks familiar. I think all women wear that dress. It's a it's a very popular dress. All Kardashian women wear that one? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Very popular. It's very in fashion. Could I just mention that all uh, the... There were a fair number of twists and turns in here, in this okay. story. And I just got to put a little shout-out, a little plug for Defiance which is ended its first season run recently. Of course, by the time this, this podcast is released, it'll have been over a while now. But when we're recording it, it just ended recently. And all kinds of deceit, twists and turns, very good show. From some of the people that were behind 
the Battlestar Galactica reboot. Okay, so how, how does it tie in with, with what's going on here? The twists and turns and the deceit mm. going on. The clever deceit that's going on beside, under the covers that you don't know about until it's sprung. I just had to, I just had to mention that. Mm, okay. Yeah, I kind of wanted to play that game, um, you know, because it's like the first video game and TV show that ties in at the same time. So it's not like the video game's an adaptation of the show. Like some plot, plot devices. Some things are going to be released in the game that will have ramifications in in the episodes later. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting concept, but I never got around to playing the game or watching the show. So, well, and quite frankly, I think the the video game tie-in might have been something towards the beginning, but I don't think it's much of an emphasis, at least in the TV show as it goes forward. Because they had a big thing in the first episode that was obviously right out of the... It looks like it was right out of a video game. But oh, since really? then, I, I really not a lot of big, splashy, um, special effects-laden stuff was going on. Mm. So I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how tied in they were as time went on. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Anyway, anyway just thought I'd mention all right, um, I have two more comments. They're not related, so you can pepper your stuff in if if, if you don't want to talk about both of mine at the same time. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. Uh, the first one is I really liked how they made Garrick still ambiguous, as even yes. even about what was his role while he was on Bajor, because they don't mm-hmm. say he was part of the Obsidian Order, but they also don't say he wasn't. Right. And then... You know, Cisco says, "Oh, so you were the one who turned him in," and he's like, "Well, that's what he thinks." <laughs> he doesn't say yes or no. He's like, mm, "That's that's what he thinks." You know, I I loved it. Again, it made him yeah. kind of ambiguous as far as you know, he either did or he didn't. You still don't know, but you think that he did because you really like Garrick and you want to think that he would do the right thing. Right. But uh, I liked it. I thought that was that was. A Pretty pretty cool little scene. Yeah. So again, you really don't get a straight answer out of Garrick ever. Almost. <laughs> if he can if he can not give you a straight answer, he will not. Right. Loved it. Yeah. And then my last comment is about Tessa's outfit that mm. she wears in this one. So Okay. Um just real quick, it's like a grayish type jumpsuit type thing mm-hmm. with like a brown pleated mid shoulder pads type thing and then a brown pleated shoulder pads right okay so around the same time in the in the mid 90s George Lucas kind of did a let's test the waters and see if Star Wars could come back okay and basically they they came out with a video game that was based in between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. It was a video game. It was a book, a novel. It was a soundtrack. It had a toy line. I mean, it had everything that a major motion picture would have except for the movie. I mean, it was like this really big experiment just to see, you know, what what all if there was still a huge fan base for Star Wars related media. 
And the reason why I bring that up is because the main character, his name is Dash Rindar. He's kind of a Han Solo smuggler type character that tries to help Princess Leia mm-hmm. free Han Solo from Boba Fett. But okay. he wears a very similar outfit to this. Oh. With the, <laughs> the brown shoulder pad type thing, the gray. I mean, his outfit looks almost identical to hers. So I just I was just wondering if this was influenced by that which was going on around the same time or just a weird coincidence. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know. So, anyways, that was it. Well, you know, I doubt if it was 100% coincidence, but who knows. Let me pull up a picture of Dash Rindar and make sure I'm not misremembering. Dash Rindar. As opposed nope. to Dash Riprock. Yep, that's definitely what he looks like. Yeah. Except well, his his pleated shoulder pads are even larger. Okay. Well, he is a man after and all. And he also has like the the pleated midriff that kind of. I mean, it, does, it, does it, he have it a turtleneck? Like, no, because he kind of wears armor, so it's just like a, a armor vest type thing. And then the the pleated shoulder pads are kind of on top of that. And then he's wearing a like a jumpsuit type tights type thing underneath, and it's it's kind of the same color as her outfit. Anyways, look it up. You can uh, Google it. Dash I will do so. Dash Rendar. <laughs> Dash Rendar. You think that's funny? I do, because I, I immediately think of Dash Riprock. And that is who? That is a character from the Beverly Hillbillies. Again, I am showing my age. <laughs> Dash Riprock was the movie star that... Milburn Drysdale, the banker, tried to set up with Ellie Mae to keep her in Beverly Hills. And their money, the Clampett money, with him. So he would pop up every once in a while as a potential quarter to Ellie Mae. And half the time she'd, she'd kick his butt. For some reason. Anyway, nice. Dash Riprock. Look it up. Dash Riprock. I will not do that. Dash, <laughs> Dash Riprock. Anyways... I just looked it up, Shadows of the Empire, which was the name of that that book and video game and everything. Uh, it came out in May of 1996, so actually this predates that a little bit. Ah. Hmm. Although, I mean, it was, in, it was in the works. I mean, they already had the toy line coming out, so it's not like his look would be a secret, you know, hmm. less than a year out. But Right. All right, well, then I just, maybe it's just a weird coincidence. It might be. Or maybe people see things and they remember it and then it just pops up later. Who knows? Who knows? Or random chance. Yeah. So um, I thought Cisco was extremely convincing in this book towards the end when basically the uh, the prisoners are released, the Maquis prisoners. So where Cisco is telling Anderson to, you know, re- release his people, here's a, here's a, fa- here's a disruptor. And he says, I'm not going to take the orders of a, of a Starfleet person. And then Cisco says, you are today. And that's it. Okay, no problem. <laughs> today? Okay, today, yes, but tomorrow. I thought the, uh, Cisco was very convincing. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of good good lines. Like I said, I liked, I thought the writing in all three of these issues was good. Um, yeah. My only beef is, man, it's a convoluted trap. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But aside right. from that, I thought I thought all the characterizations 
were really good. Yeah, and ni- some nice twists and turns. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was good. I liked it. Yeah. What else you got? I got nothing else. All right, now we'll do the backup story to this one. Oh, there's not one. Nope. That's right, this one was a full one. All right. Which really no makes me think that this could have been two just two issues. issues of the regular series that <laughs> they uh, milked into three-part miniseries. Right. I mean, yeah. it is written by a different writer, so it's not a bar, right? So he, Well, okay, yeah. Oh, I got you. Yeah, because Mark A. Altman right. so, wrote I mean, the it, arc. It's, it's, a, it's not the normal Deep Space Nine writer, so maybe, maybe they... I don't know why they couldn't have just done three full issues and they had to, you know, two short short episodes and two little filler. I don't know. It's weird. Wild, man. Wild. But they did it. Maybe multiple first issues, like you said. Right. All right. So uh, that closes up the episode. We will not be doing Elsewhere this week because we'll cover that in the regular series. Okay. Uh, so next week I'm really excited about because we revisit the J.J. Uh, Abrams verse with the ongoing issues 20, 21, and 22. Mm-hmm. So I got kind of spoiled when we would do one episode of the ongoing every month, and then now it's been you know quite a few weeks since we did the last ongoing. And I'm I'm kind of itching right. to get back there and see what happens after the darkness. Exactly. Yeah. So the first issue is just another origin story, but after that we have uh, two uh, stories that take place after the movie, which is very good, very cool. And and they're reimaging uh, of a very classic uh, Star Trek episode. Original. Indeed. Series. And I guess you'll just have to come back next week to find out, even though you probably read it already. If you're listening to this one, right, right, it's been out, it's been out for months. <laughs> <laughs> for months, exactly. You probably but, already know. Exactly, but again, they they do their own little spin on it. So right. uh, in so the in I, the early I, days, they were very close to the original material with some little spins. This one appears to be a bigger spin, but we'll see. Yeah, I haven't read it yet. I've been I've been waiting. Yeah. Well, what I want to know is. Spock's got Ohura. So, I'm just saying, you know, he's getting a little relief there. So, I, I guess we'll find out. About. What episode are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that might be a hint for those of you out there that haven't actually uh, read the comics yet. We'll Alright. Alright, well then we will uh, get to it next week and hopefully... Everybody has uh, had a good time with this little miniseries. As we have. Indeed. Indeed. Fun with flags. I mean, Star Trek. All right. (laughs) See you next week, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starT comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. 
See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.